Today we look at another important component of the first unit of our course, the age of absolutism with the scientific revolution. The scientific revolution was important not just for its specific discoveries, but for its new view of how we come to know what is true. We see this with astronomy by looking at the medieval view of the solar system in contrast to the view of the 17th century scientific revolution, which resulted from the discoveries of Nicholas Copernicus in 1543. The medieval view of the solar system placed the Earth at the center of everything, an object that cannot move, but around which everything else moves, including the sun, the planets, and the stars. This view resulted from the notion that science was supposed to bow to theology on any questions, including questions about the natural world. That science should rely on sense impressions, the impressions of our senses, and a respect for Christian thought. We do not feel the earth move, but we see the sun rise and set. Therefore, we told ourselves until the 17th century that the earth is fixed and that the sun is in motion. And where else would God place his highest creation, man, but at the center of everything? The Christian church endorsed this comforting view. Well, of course, the 17th century discovered that this was all completely wrong and that neither our senses nor the Bible can lead us anywhere close to the scientific truth. It turns out that the Earth occupies a nowhere corner of the universe and moves just the same, and for the same reasons, as the moon and the planets around the sun. But how can this sinful Earth act like the heavenly bodies, moving on its own? It turns out that the earth moves for the same reason the so-called heavenly bodies move, because of something entirely natural, namely the gravitational pull on it by the sun, which whips the earth around the sun in one complete orbit every 365 days. More importantly, this must be only one of an endless number of other laws of nature which are mathematically perfect and can be, no, must be, discoverable entirely with our reason and intellect, not with references to anything in a supernatural book like the Bible. Furthermore, reason requires freedom to work its magic. Without the freedom to experiment, how are we to discover the laws of nature? But the institution of the church was not going to permit this freedom because it was leading to theories that contradicted the church's view of what the universe looked like. Science would have to be separated from theology, and that would require revolutions of a political kind. As I indicated, Copernicus was the first to describe the modern view of the solar system in 1543. But nobody believed him because he could not come up with the mathematical equation for gravity. He was also not willing to come out and publish his views 
in a positive way where he would say, I have no doubt that this is true, because he knew that the church would condemn him and he might be killed for presenting his views. So he expressed considerable doubt about his certainty, even though that doubt was really just a cover to protect his life. A later scientist in the early 17th century, Galileo, discovered moons orbiting the planet Jupiter. He was the first scientist to use a telescope. But Galileo could not prove that there was a law of nature that explained this motion because he could not calculate it, even though it turned out that it was something that could be calculated mathematically. It would remain to Isaac Newton at the end of the 17th century to discover the mathematical equation demonstrating without a doubt that there was a law of nature called gravity and that things can move on their own, or really not on their own, but as a result of a natural law. The reason why Galileo's discoveries were important is because if a moon orbited an object that was presumed to go around the Earth in in the old medieval sense, that moons go around other objects, and so our Earth must be one of those objects, nothing special in the universe. Galileo was threatened with torture for this point of view, so he wisely did not publish it. But by the end of the 17th century, Isaac Newton not only published his theory in 1687, but he convinced everyone of its correctness, because you could no longer doubt it since he had discovered the mathematical proof behind it. Newton was thought to be the last word on this question, and he seemed to create the image of a world, or a a universe, I should say, that was well-ordered, perfect, that was mathematically describable, and that could be understood only with the use of human reason. The significance of these scientific theories can be summed up in this manner. If you had lived in the early 17th century, you would live at a time when people still believed in witches. People still believed that comets were portents from the supernatural world. But if you lived at the end of the 17th century, at the time of Isaac Newton, you knew that comets were simply pieces of ice in the solar system, moving about because of gravity. And you knew that supernatural things like witches could not exist. In other words, from a scientific point of view, if you had lived at the end of the 17th century, you would be thinking in a modern way about science. But if you lived in the early 17th century, you would have a medieval view of the world around you. In your 500-word essay, Find something that Isaac Newton is important for, something that Isaac Newton discovered or some method he used that marks him as a modern scientist. Or, if you don't want to talk about Newton, find something that was not described here that Galileo discovered that also marks him as a modern scientist. And only one thing, you need only talk about one thing that you found that was not discussed here, and the rest of your 50 to 75 words 
on the scientific revolution and how it fits in the age of absolutism can be based on what you learned in this podcast. For now, happy historical musings.